Hello there, and welcome to the Adoption Chronicles, the podcast that tells adoption stories from the people who have lived that experience. And today, we're talking with Sandra Moon. Welcome to the show, Sandra. Hello, thank you, Mick. It's lovely to talk to you. Likewise. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story today, uh, or tonight, or whenever it is that people are listening to it. Where does your story begin? Uh, well, I guess before I start, I'd just like to acknowledge that I'm um, talking to you from Gumbangi country in yep. northern New South Wales. Cool. Um, and I stand in solidarity with the stolen generation and transracial adopted persons and transnational adopted Yes, absolutely. And I'm with you from Ghana country here in South Australia and yeah, respect the traditional owners of the land, uh, past and present, and uh, looking forward to building a strong relationship with uh, the Indigenous people of our country. Great. So back to the question, where does my story start? Yes. Um, it starts in 1971. Yep. Um, I was born in St Margaret's Hospital, Crown Street in Sydney. Yep. Um, and as probably a lot of the listeners are aware, that was probably the height of the forced adoption practices in Australia and what's also called the baby scoop era. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's surprising so found- how many people I've spoken to on this podcast that uh, 1968 to 1972 babies or around about that time, and I'm one of them as well. I'm, an, I'm a 72 uh, baby, so, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Interesting that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I guess that period was, you know, towards the end of the 60s and sexual liberation mm-hmm. was pretty high and I don't think the pill was being commonly used mm. or was, was able to be used at that time as well. Yep. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so I was raised in a family um, that was, you know, heterosexual, middle-class Catholic fa- family. Yep. And the adoption was done through the Catholic Adoption Agency. Right. I'm going to say, so a very conservative, white-type upbringing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And when I later got my adoption file, I found out that I had Maltese um, on my paternal side. Yep. And the file said my parents are willing to, my adoptive parents are willing to accept this child of a mixed race mm-hmm. um, and there are no identifying features. So yeah, right. that was pretty hard to, yeah. to read. Yeah, it would be. Um, I guess without uh, seeing a picture of you, um, do you stand out from the, that traditional conservative group? Look, I think I'm fairly white passing. Yep. Um, I would say, like, but I've got, uh, you know, dark hair. I yep. had very olive skin when I was younger, so I would have stood out in a yep. family. Like, a Irish English um, background is my adoptive parents' family. So, yeah, now I'm 
older, I can see the um, complexities and the importance of genetic mirroring, which mm-hmm. I didn't have, and a lot of adopted persons don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you had that yourself. Did you have it? I, I, I am pretty white myself, and I grew up in a white family. Um, so it was it was interesting whenever anybody would say, "Oh, you you look like your dad," I go, uh-huh. um, "Yeah, thank you," but I know deep down inside that that's impossible. Yeah, yeah, and I've I guess have heard that at, you know in different ways myself, and the saying. Yeah. It's just like, you know, people trying to find a link, um, mm. you know, oh, you look like such and such, and it's like, well, no, I don't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, look, I think there's a lot to be said for genetic mirroring. It's the point at which non-adopted people have the, where they approach the world. They can see themselves in other people's faces. They can yeah. see people who talk like them, who have interests and, and talents like them. Yep. And without it, you're, you know, this sole person in a world that's foreign. Mm. But, you know, that's not to say that my parents weren't loving parents. Of they certainly were. But yep. it's, yeah, it's got nothing to do with that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so anyway, I knew I was adopted from an early age. Yep. Um, and I guess I had a few different experiences growing up that kind of where I was teased and bullied and okay. so on. So that wasn't ideal. No, that's a real shame. Um, um, and I, know, I, I, I don't remember major incidents, but there were incidents that I can – empathise with, what kind of things would the children say, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, just, um, I don't want to go into them too much because they're pretty hurtful. But, yeah, Yeah. one time I was really publicly humiliated um, and said some really foul things. People said foul things to me. Um, You know, a boy came up to me in the playground at primary school and said, oh, you know, I heard you're adopted, and if um, I was you, I'd get a shotgun and kill my parents because they've, you know, they've given you away. Wow! And I was like, "What the hell?" Like yeah. it, it was those experiences that informed me how other people thought of adoption. Wow! And you know, they were all the the typical things like you were thrown away or you were unwanted. Yeah. Uh, you're abandoned, um, unlovable. Wow. You know, those yeah. kinds of so I guess unpleasant to, things. Yeah, um, and with that would come a lot of uh, thoughts about what may have been um, if you weren't adopted. Did you? You would have had thoughts about that, I assume, and like um, probably maybe... not too much at that age, but mm-hmm. I did. I mean, I, I do now. Yeah. Um, with hindsight, yeah, I definitely think who would I have been yeah um had i had what everyone else has non-adopted people have yep um and i think um 
you know, at that stage I just felt kind of bewildered. Yeah. You know, bewildered and um, there was no one to share that experience with. I mean, the only other person I knew who was adopted was my brother mm-hmm. um, and we never spoke about it and, and we definitely didn't speak about it in the family. Yeah, right. So is he older yeah, or younger so than you? He's older. Right. And but but I, going back, sorry, to yep. your question, I did fantasise about Olivia Newton-John being my mother actually <laughs> <laughs> because she had these amazing curly hair and I've got dead straight hair and I, yeah. So I guess that's, that's as a child, that's what I did. I fantasised. Yeah, of course. And I'll tell you what, she's a... Uh, a fantastic role model to have had, I reckon, as a mum. So you've picked yeah. a pretty good uh, yeah. a role model there, I reckon. Um, yeah, and I, I did always wonder, I guess, who was my first mother and where is she and what is she doing and does she look like me? Do I have brothers and sisters and that kind yeah. of thing? So you would have been around 19 or 20 when the laws changed in New South Wales to open Pandora's box, I guess. That's right. That's right. I was. I think I was 18 um, when the laws changed. And, yeah, I remember watching a show on television and it wasn't actually about the laws changing, but it was something about adoption. And I was watching it with my mum and she said to me, look, if you ever want to look, I'll help you. And, I just went, yes. Right. You know, it was the first time we'd kind of actually talked about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I applied to the Catholic Adoption Agency and I got my adoption file. Yep. And in it I found a letter from my first mother. She'd written it to me when I was 16. Wow. Which was the same age she had been when she gave birth to me. Wow. And yeah. How did you receive that? That would have been really emotional, I assume. Oh, incredibly. And yeah. I was a tough little nut because I took the train by myself from regional New South Wales all the way to the Big Smoke to Sydney yep. and, you know, didn't know where I was going or what I was doing and I went to the Catholic Adoption Agency by myself. I was determined to do it by myself. I got the file by myself. And okay. Um, you know, <laughs> did all those things, wanting to be, I guess, independent, and yeah. also it was such an intensely personal experience. And of I, course. yes, so um, I didn't want to have to uh, censor what I was feeling yep. or how I was reacting. And I think, as adopted persons, we have this loyalty and feeling of not wanting to rock the boat and, um, you know, division within ourselves about how do we, you know, maintain the love of our adoptive parents Mm. and yet we do want to explore and, um, you know, find our other parents. Mm. So I guess that's kind of what drove me and it was the same when I actually met my first mother. Right. I again was determined to do that by myself and did the same trip again. Okay. Um, 
So I guess before we mm. get too far there, you've found your original records through the agency. How did you go about getting contact with your original mother? Well, she had put her contact details in the letter right. that she'd left in my file. Yeah. That so makes it easy. I think they rang her. Okay. And then we arranged to have a phone call. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, we we met in person. Right. Was that in a public space or did you go down to her house or how did that work? Um, well, she was living in Victoria at the time, so she right. flew to Sydney okay. and I met her at the airport. Right. That's where and the big emotional was... meetings happen at the airport though, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> Absolutely, and I was a wreck. Like I got there super early, yeah, and I have never been shaking as much in my whole life. Yeah, um, yeah like I think the airport security guards thought, well, "What is going on with this woman?" <laughs> and you know, we recognised each other straight away and wow. just had the best, beautiful hug and lots and lots of tears and. The first she said to me was, "You look like your father." Oh, well, there you go. So mm. that that I guess started a uh, thought process of of him as well. Did she? Um, I guess as you got to speak with her, did she tell you the? I guess the story of of um, how she came to that decision to put you up for adoption. Well, she did. Um, it wasn't a decision as such. She right. wasn't given a choice. Um, she was a ward of the state at oh, the time. Wow. Um, so there's that other layer of being unsupported. But yeah. like in other forced adoptions, she wasn't given a choice. She um, wasn't told that she had 30 days to change her mind. Wow. Um, yeah, she didn't get to see me at all. At the beginning I was taken away and, um, yeah, she said later on she was able to convince the nun to let her go and, and have a look at me. Wow. Um, yeah, so... I found out after getting other documents when I was about 40 yep. that I actually was in um, St Anthony's Children Home for the first three weeks. Wow. So that was... Yeah, which was pretty a big blow. Yeah, I reckon. I, I sometimes say that we're the product of somebody else's decision. And oh, up until okay. now, I'd always... In, intended that f to be our birth parents' decision. But that's not the case here, is it? No. Well, uh, I mean, organisations like the Post-Adoption Support Service Queensland and Post-Adoption Resource Centre yep. start from the approach that adoptions in Australia up until the mid-'80s are from the start to be considered forced adoptions until proved otherwise. Wow. Of course, the um, coercion, the uh, practices were so rife that it's more likely that it was a forced adoption than not. 
Wow. So it totally changes the narrative of what adopted people have been told their whole lives. Yeah. And um, have you read Julia Gillard's um, forced adoption apology in 2013? I reckon I may have heard parts of it, but I didn't. I haven't read it as such. No, but I think I will now. You can YouTube it. It will change your life. Like I um, watched it in 2013. Yep. Cried and cried and cried um, because it totally flips that narrative. Yeah. You know, she tells people you were wanted. You weren't unwanted. You were wanted. Um, and, you know, that's that's huge. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the, those events that lead up to that decision go a long way into creating the fabric of who we are. Absolutely. And epigenetics, um, you know, is proof of that and the trauma that we um, experience as adopted persons and because of these social myths that we've been gaslit with yep. are impounding on the trauma. I've learnt something new and I'm not sure I like it. Um, but well, it is what it is. Why don't you like it? Oh, I, I, guess, um, I, oh, I guess I'm a little bit common with the uh, a lot of, Adopted people win that I like to be in control <laughs> and to mm-hmm. realise another little piece is now out of control as well. Um, it kind of unravels things a little bit, but then at the same time, knowledge is power and yeah. by knowing the truth, we can, you know, I guess put the pieces back together again as well to a degree. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think, yeah, I can relate to what you're saying, um, but I, yeah, really encourage you to just have a a watch of Julia Gillard's apology in 2013 because it is so validating just to hear um, the Prime Minister of Australia and the majority of the state premiers Mm. did as well. Mm Mm-hmm apologise for what she describes as a crime and it was a crime committed against you, it was a crime committed against me, it was a crime committed against our first parents, their grandparents, their parents and hundreds of thousands of, of people in Australia. So yeah. it, it will possibly shift some things in you but with that shifted, as you've said, then you've got the bill blocks to start a new story, a new narrative. And we probably do like to be in control as adopted people because so much has been out of our control. We haven't had, you know, the same decision-making or the same allowances that non-adopted people have, which is to grow up with their first family. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we want to control things. Yeah. Which is why some people end up being overachievers. Well, there's that, yeah. There's no, I guess once you're on the road, then that's it. You kind of get the uh, blinkers are on and away you go. Mm. You know, I think there's, yeah, mm. a commonality with that. 
Um, so winding it back a touch, how how has your relationship with your first mother unfolded? How has that developed? Um, look, it's been, um, you know, from the gamut of the honeymoon period and yeah. everything's wonderful to, um, you know, being estranged, I guess. Um, right. But reunion, I think, is very tricky to navigate. It and really is. When we tried to do it, there was no discussion of forced adoption. It hadn't been kind of um, discussed in the public discourse and right. um, wasn't a conversation that was being had anywhere in in the nation that I was aware of. We yep. were kind of floundering around by ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did she tell you that that was the case with how she was effectively forced to give you up? Pardon me? So she told you that she was effectively forced to give you up? Yeah. 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 So um, did she tell you much about your birth father and how? Um, she told me a little bit. They weren't in a relationship. He was a bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did eventually look for him as well. Um yep. So I guess a good way to tell this part of the story. There's a glitch in the matrix. Um, yeah, the best part to, or the best way to tell this part of the story is my best birthday ever I spent with my first mother and her partner and my younger siblings, yep. Um, yep. which was wonderful. That was probably when I was 30, I think. Okay. And then... The worst birthday was when I found out after searching for my um, first father that he'd actually passed away um, oh, two or three earlier and I found that birthday actually, which was really devastating. Yeah, too much. But, yeah, I did go on to contact um, my younger sibling um, and I have another paternal sibling but um there was no he showed no interest in meeting right. me at all and have your other sibling worked out no no so they've all been amazing starts yep. and then yep. just um unraveled right mm. and that's fairly common with reunions mm. what's been your experience are you writing a book and putting your memoirs uh, down Yes, I am writing a memoir. Yeah, would you like to so tell us like where you're up to with that? You're up to with that. Yeah, so I'm just um, yeah writing a memoir about what I believe the myths of adoption are and um, basing them in my personal experience and then kind of extending those myths out into um, Australian. I guess the Australian um, landscape, as, yep. as yep. for want of a better word, um, yeah. So some of the things that I am trying to write about are things like, you know, this myth that we were unwanted, um, the myth that we were chosen. Because I don't know about you, but often people go, "Oh, you're so lucky, you were chosen." And it's like, I wasn't chosen. I was the next baby off the fertility industry conveyor belt. 
Um, yeah. Things like, you know, babies are a blank slate and it's easy to um, transfer one child into a stranger's family and things will be fine. Um, all those kinds of things I'm, I'm trying to look at and really, um, you know, provide a, a lived experience and an adopted person's voice to these things that simply aren't true. And it's interesting because even... Um, or even someone like yourself who you've been talking to lots of people and obviously um, it's a, an experience you've had and, um, you know, you, you're quite open about talking about even the fact that you don't, hadn't, like, listened to Julia Gillard's speech or that kind of imagine people who aren't from your position or my position mm -hmm who have totally no idea and have believed these things mm. that mm. pretty much the whole of Australian and the greater world believe. And when you try and talk against that um, from a lived experience, from an authentic adopted person's experience, it's like hitting your head against a brick wall. Mm. People don't have the understanding. Um, there's often not something to anchor that to, but things are changing. Um, in the September issue of the Women's Weekly, there's a really fantastic article from lots of different perspectives in the adoption triad. Okay. Well worth a read. I think that'll add to the national conversation. I may have to buy the Women's Weekly. It sounds like it's going to be a good read. It'll be a great read. And I think having that out there, you know, like... If I'm having a conversation, which I only choose probably a very select few people to have a conversation with about it, mm -hmm. like I can say, mm -hmm. well, you know, have a read of that. That'll give you a great perspective. Whereas without those things there as reference points, you're very much alone. And, you know, I felt very lonely growing up. I didn't, yeah, yeah. couldn't, even to yeah. this day, I've, I ha had one friend who was adopted. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I think now as an adult I see the injustice of of what I've been through and it's been very difficult and um and challenging. But we haven't had a choice. No. And you know, the the flip side of that is well has it actually made us stronger or have we just had to be strong? It's actually made us um, it's actually given us trauma. Yeah. Um, a little bit like the old conversation of nature versus nurture. Uh, have you had any experiences with or answering that type of question? Like is it the upbringing and your environment that made you who you are or your genetics that make you who you are? The old nature versus nurture yeah. discussion. Yeah. Definitely um, eugenetics has a lot to do with it, but also your environment does. But I think eugenetics is stronger. Yeah. I don't know about you, but, um, you know, when I met my first mother, like uh, I was studying 
things that she was work the field that she was working in. Um, when I found my first father's family, I found out that he was very politically minded, and I'm very politically minded, and no one else in my adoptive family is. Okay. On my adoptive, uh, on my first mother's side, they're very creative. I'm very creative. Yep. Um, look like, walk like, talk like, sound like. Wow. Um. So, yeah, I I don't think you can, um, I I don't think babies are clean slates. No, I think that's just, um, yeah, a very strange argument. Um, so yeah, definitely a bit of both, but genetics are definitely stronger. Yeah, and the conversations I have with people that I talk about with this same, very much the same thing in that there's so many similarities genetically that you just cannot discount it. But then at the same time, the environment that we're in has a bearing on how we change our thought processes to certain things and how we act as well. Yeah. So that is really interesting because, um, I identify as bi and was raised in the Catholic Church. Right. Raised that my nature was a sin. Oh. So, you know, I spent a long time, like, having relationships, hetero relationships, because, you know, that's what I was accultured to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think um, for me that was like a double loss of identity and I think, um, you know, I I really mourn the loss not only of, um, you know, the right to be with my first family of origin but yep. who I would have been if I had been allowed to be myself from day dot and, and not been raised yeah. in a religious singing. Yeah, that's right. And... I guess making decisions regarding a relationship to fit into somebody else's narrative is damaging. Um, You should should be able to be with who you want to be with, really. That's right. And if you imagine how hard it is for someone to come out, imagine the risks double when you think, you know, like someone who's coming out in their own uh, biological first family, yep. even if their parents reject them, they've still got their siblings, they've still got their, um, yep. you know, the rest of the family. But as an adopted person, you fear the loss um, and you feel loss much more strongly because you've had that first loss, that, primal wound, as uh, Nancy Verrier calls it in her famous book, you've had that initial first loss and then been told to forget about it and be grateful. Mm. So you're kind of brought up in this um, weird world of, well, a lot of people in the adopted community call it the fog and then once you realise on the other side that, actually, hey, things are not quite as they seem, you start to come out of the fog. I'm hoping you're through the fog. Um, 
and I hope everyone else is getting through the fog as well um, because that's not the best place to be. Yeah, gotcha. some, some adopted persons don't recognise the fog. Some yep. recognise the fog and don't believe in the fog. Yep. Um, I experience the fog myself um, and, yeah, I'm still, I think I'm out of it to a large degree, but I'm still dealing with it and I'm yeah. still coming out of it. I guess moving forward is the main thing there, and which is, which is good. It sounds like you're moving forward. Um, yeah, well, that's all you can do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. One foot in front of the other. And, yeah, we keep on pushing through. So if you could talk to a younger version of yourself or um, you're obviously talking to some people tonight, um, our fabulous audience who are very supportive, which is uh, one of the great things about this podcast is the audience and the people that listen in. Um, and they do take on a lot of advice from our guests. Have you got any advice for anybody who's, I guess it's it's not the right way to term it by saying early in their story because our stories start very early, but if they're on the road to searching for their uh first family or even from another perspective um, if they're a birth parent looking for their children um, and it's coming up time for the reunion have you got any advice for for them I would say um, do a thought so for example through post-adoption support Queensland or the post-adoption resource centre or there's a fantastic um, forced adoption support service called Wattle Place, um, yep. which can help to brokerage reunions. Um, I think they're out there now, those support um, organisations, and they're so valuable. They're adoption-informed um, practitioners and they'll really help um, you to to have the smoothest reunion as possible. Um, yeah. yeah, and I also think try and manage expectation yeah. and go slow. Yeah, I reckon that's um, some sage advice right there. Uh, managing your expectations is so important. Um, it could turn out to be the best thing or it could turn out to be the opposite and... Um, everywhere in between um, mm. and uh, mm. we're obviously hoping everybody has a positive experience um, that's not always the case um, unfortunately uh, that's yeah that's, that's how life works unfortunately sometimes it doesn't give you everything we need but um and we just need to roll on with it, don't we? Yeah, I think that's right. And I think just focusing on yourself and, and your happy future and yeah. how you can build that is something that's been really helpful to me. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I think all the uh, the, the time that we spend working on ourselves 
is not just the best thing that we can do for ourselves, but also those people that are close to us and around us that um, helps us become the best version of ourselves for them. So we should never shy away from doing things for ourselves, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No worries. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to tonight, Sandra, and thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. And uh, wishing you all the very best for the future. Oh, thank you. You too, Mick. Cheers. And to all your listeners. And I think the people um, who are listening, there's so many of us who are thinking that we're by ourselves, but, um, you know, adopted people are starting to speak out and speak their truths and finding communities. And I really found... um, some healing in that and I hope other people can can reach out and do that as well. Yep. Absolutely. Alrighty. No Bye worries. for now. Thanks again. Cheers. Bye. That was Sandra Moon with her story of adoption. And as always, if you uh, uh, listen to uh, to the sage advice, the uh, the Wattle Place and the post-adoption resource centres in New South Wales and Queensland and Victoria as well are there to help. So uh, don't be shy in reaching out for any help. There's a lot of uh, resources out there that are there for you. And as always, thank you again for listening and giving us your time. And we will talk to you again next week. See you then.